infatuation and falling in love and all the warm and fuzzies. I love that stuff. It's part of it. And also, I don't know that we know how to steward that well because we're so busy trying to get to the happily ever after. Oh my God. I love Sade Ferrier, today's guest, an associate marriage and family therapist and intimacy coach. My God. I am so grateful for this conversation. It is so sweet and so connected and so fun and deep. We start talking about sexual intimacy. What is sexual intimacy? And this conversation brings us in a lot of beautiful areas, such as what it means to feel safe in a relationship, and how some relationships trigger you differently. We talk about grieving, and there's a conversation about race and what is swirling, and also how to work with a therapist and how to find a good therapist. I am so, so grateful for Sade's time and wisdom and presence. This is a beautiful conversation. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Sade? Yes. Could you please introduce yourself? So I'm Shade Ferrier. I'm an associate marriage and family therapist and intimacy coach in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I'm so pumped that you're here. Yeah, I'm really excited. So what is, let's just start with the basics. What does sexual intimacy mean to you? Oh, that's good. You went right for it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Sexual intimacy is definitely a lot more than intercourse and a lot more than what we culturally know as sex. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm talking with people, I like to use the phrase sexual energy Mm. or even doing a deconstruction of what sexual versus sensual means. And so it broadens sexual intimacy to the space where that energy exists, arousal may or may not be present, and you're able to move freely in and around it without any expectations of what has to happen. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. For me, intimacy is another way of saying closeness, Mm. right? Like two people getting closer. So sexual intimacy would be people getting closer in the realm of, like you said, sexual energy, not not just penetration. Right. Um, or even just genital stimulation. Right. Right? So how can we get closer in a sexual sphere, which also includes, I guess, sensuality as well? Yeah. Intimacy, I like what you said, with closer. And with that even comes so much more to unpack about how does someone get close How is it possible to get close? And I think with that, you have to look inward and be able to fully know yourself. Mm. Can't wait. Well, can we ever 
fully know ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the rub. Um, I think, I think fully knowing yourself is this acceptance state, though, of all the parts of you. Acceptance of who you were ten years ago, um, whoever you're going to be ten years from now, and so the fully knowing is this kind of journey of. This is a really weird picture in my head, but let's go like a parent sitting with their kid playing on the rug and you can't fully know what your kid's thinking when they're like, pew, 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 whatever. Um, but you can watch and observe and just have this acceptance and love for whatever's going to happen. Yeah. Wow. You said that in uh, something that you wrote to me is that intimacy to me is being fully seen, fully known and fully loved by your partner. Yeah. And I like that. I guess what comes up for me when you say fully knowing oneself, to me that also means accepting the fact that there's a lot that you don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what our obsession is with knowing everything. <laughs> Love um, that. And so I guess it's totally fair for us to like deconstruct that too. It's like we don't always have to have an answer and do you know what the Enneagram is? Seven wing six, my friend. Beautiful. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was just delightful to hear. Um, I am a three wing four. And so for me, I'm, you know, I can be kind of concerned about image and presentation. And then the four side is very much like, let's just sit in the dark with a candle and let's just ponder our deepest pains. And so I used to be a lot more focused on knowing the right answer and I'd kind of fall apart if I didn't. Whereas now fully known is the space of awareness of what's happening inside of me and then permission to let it happen. Talking about presence. Yeah. Presence for the internal landscape. And then also acceptation. Is that the right word? Acceptance? Acceptance. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Full, we accept that answer. Yes. <laughs> acceptation. Full acceptation of the present moment, of not knowing, of yeah. a lack of clarity, of a cognitive dissonance, of multiple competing emotions at any one time, and also is deeply linked to this idea of dialectics, right? Both and. Yeah. I both am in love with my girlfriend, and sometimes she drives me crazy. Yeah. But actually, she doesn't drive me crazy, but that's just an, ex it's an example. She doesn't drive me crazy yet. I, I don't know why, but it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice situation to be in. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I will. I mean, she, yeah, I mean, of course, there are things that are frustrating in the relationship, like all, all relationships, but the both and, right? Sitting with multiple competing emotions, sitting with not knowing, sitting with both wanting and not wanting. Yeah, and... I'm sure we'll, you know, kind of touch on this too, but I told you about just kind of my faith background and, and working with people who have come from some kind of religious background. Purity culture? Purity culture. Yes. It's who. <laughs> and um, with that comes that idea of black and white to an extent. Mm. With that comes this idea of I need to know the right answer for myself in all areas and purity culture is about, you know, sexuality. But even if we take it out of that in terms of, is it right or wrong to, you know, speed up if you see a yellow or red light? <laughs> mm, 
in sex, uh, yellow Ooh. means <laughs> mean yeah. does not mean speed up. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> in sex, yellow means it means slow down. Which, ironically, the yellow and speeding up and slowing down it brings me to thinking of women who have sexual pain sometimes with their partners, their partners don't know how to manage that. And so they do speed up Mm. as a hope to like get it over with Mm. quicker. Yikes. Yeah. In my experience, 30, I'm almost 38 years old. I have some experience uh, as a heterosexual-ish man, for the most part, Mm -hmm. women want you to slow down. (laughs) Just a general rule of thumb. Just a general rule of thumb. Easy to remember for the most part. Of course, nothing is black and white. Yeah, slow, for me, slow is good because slow allows me to stay present. Right. It's that concept of intimacy. And I think at least, or definitely in the beginning stages, you do need to slow down to make sure that all pieces are present. Your emotional intimacy, sexual, physical, you know, psychological spiritual, if you don't slow down, it's less likely you're going to notice what's missing. And I think that's where the whole rose-colored glasses things comes in. Mm. Because infatuation and falling in love and all the warm and fuzzies, I love that stuff. It's part of it. And also, I don't know that we know how to steward that well, Mm. because we're so busy trying to get to the happily ever after. Yeah. This is a idea concept that I work on constantly with clients and my audience of people just wanting the relationship. Mm. Just they just want the relationship so bad. Yeah. At the detriment of respecting uh, an authentic pace mm-hmm. of how relationships are built. They're built slowly over time. In my experience, I mean, sure, you can have a casual sex relationship where you meet on an app and you go and you hook up two hours later. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I don't want to judge anybody because I've done that plenty of times. So if this is you and that's what you want, awesome. Go for it. Yeah. But I don't think it's the best way to build a, a solid foundation. And that's not to say yeah. that you can't hook up on the first date and build a fantastic relationship. But what right. you're talking about is multidimensional intimacy. Right. It's all those layers and all those layers, regardless of which layer you start with, really, but all of them come together over time and then they all kind of deepen together, hopefully. Yeah. They all become more mature. And that's another thing is I noticed some people maybe five years into their relationship wishing that it could look and feel like it did in those first couple months. Mm. Butterflies, mm-hmm. arousal at the drop of a hat. Drop of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Intense desire to have sex multiple times a day. You're missing them all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all of that. That is all consuming, by the way. It is, and it's a drug. It is a drug, right? Yeah. It's a hormone cocktail. It feels good. But then we don't know how to crave mature, intimate love. We don't know how to see healthy conflict resolution as the new electric moment instead of, you know, makeout session where lampshades are broken or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Conflict, when resolved, leads to deeper intimacy. Often does. Oh my gosh, the best kind. 
Yeah. And all that requires sitting with discomfort. All of this that we're talking about requires sitting with discomfort and sitting with not knowing. Yeah. I, I talk to people about raising their distress tolerance. And you can do that in whatever way you need to do. Um, it can be somatic. So for me in sessions, I, I'll tell people this. I have a blanket on my lap. I actually have a blanket around me right now because I'm very tactile and so it helps me to stay centered, stay grounded. Or some people might be having a pen in their hand or it could be you just need the space and you need to like over communicate and articulate that. Like I see you, I hear you, I want to respond. I am not online right now. My brain isn't working. Can I step away for three minutes and come back? Mm. It's all part of distress tolerance. Yeah, I don't think people do that very often. I think it just keeps escalating. And then you're in a different phase. You're not in the, I'm present to the fact that I'm not present. Mm. And I want to do what I need to do to take care of myself so that I can come back in connection with you and solve this thing. It just gets ratcheted up and up and up. And then we fall back on, on our like, you know, typical conflict resolution mode, which for some people is flee, fight, freeze. Someone said fuck as the, as the last <laughs> one, which also valid. I think so. Um, we, we, we default. We default right. to the thing that we're most comfortable with, even though it can be intensely disco- like uncomfortable. But maybe the thing that we were modeled growing up or what we've picked up along the way from movies and education we don't take the time to slow down. Again, slowing down, right? Even in, in the midst of conflict. Yeah, and that reminds me, like, I'm sure you've seen this out there, but I think there are some dating coaches or just, you know, people with a camera who will say, trust your instinct, trust your gut. Uh-oh. Uh. <laughs> My gut is saying, get the fuck out of this thing ASAP because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, my gut is telling me that it's uncomfortable because I have past trauma with watching people have conflict, or my gut is telling me flee this relationship because he wants to get really close to me, and I'm not comfortable with being seen and known and loved. (laughs) Okay, so that's the scary part about intimacy. Yeah. Right, let's go back to your definition. Intimacy is being fully seen, fully known, and fully loved by your partner. That is incredibly hard. Because I think we walk around with a lot of shame about who we are and what we want mm. and our stories and the fact that we're, you know, we have unrealized potential and I'm, I'm not living up to my parents' expectations and I have this weird kink that I'm really ashamed of talking about. Mm. And when you get closer to somebody, you have to share your story. And yeah. sometimes we've been punished for sharing those stories, right? If we go back to religion... There are some sexual acts that are totally not okay, right? Yeah. Fully, like you get punished for it, you're shamed for it, you're judged for it. And, and yet it's a, it's a part of you. Right? We don't get to pick what we want, what, like what we desire, what we deeply, deeply desire. We don't really get to choose that, I don't think. Mm. So there's a, there's a term called spiritual bypass, and I'm sure there are theologians and studied people out there who know more about this than I do, but... Um, (laughs) it's, it's kind of using triangulating a religious system in as a scapegoat for not experiencing distress. Mm. 
Um, and so if we're talking about, you know, we were just talking earlier, like the Black Lives Matter movement, one way of spiritual bypass around that is, oh, well, you know what? God's going to fix it. It'll all be okay. Oh, it's, in, <sighs> it's in God's hands. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, yes. And let's talk about the fact that people are being murdered in front of us. Yeah. If we're talking about intimacy, there's a spiritual bypass that comes with, I don't know what to do with this part of my partner or this part of myself. And so therefore, I'm just going to take the easiest black and white answer and remove myself from the distress. But the problem is a splicing of yourself, a fragmentation of yourself can start to happen Hmm. because you've now disowned one of your parts. And I think a lot of people can experience like how painful it is, especially if you were in a religious environment or community, to essentially have to choose between being part of the community or not because your community doesn't know how to deal with this part of you or how to love this part of you. Mm. Yeah, wow. And we're we're social beings. Yeah. We we want to be part of desperately. We want, to, we want to be accepted. So sometimes we'll make those choices and it's not in uh, service of, ultimately, mm. your growth and your development and your self-acceptance. Yeah, and I think for people, whether it's religious or even just your family, I know for a lot of people it's family where they experience this. Um, once you're healed and once you're doing therapy to work on healing, I would consider this next step and next phase of, instead of focusing on the pain of the story, focus on how you can be different for others. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah, we get kind of frozen in that narrative, don't we? Where it's like, oh, this happened to me, and this was so bad, and those people, and X, Y, Z. But doesn't that just perpetuate the cycle of othering and separation and and splicing? But what would it look like instead? Dead. And I think this is the same when we're talking with our partners. If our partner hurts us, instead of focusing on the person that wounded, how can I show up differently right now? How can I raise my general life satisfaction? How can I make sure someone else feels loved and cared in my presence? I think that's a step forward in healing instead of getting stuck. I don't know. What do you think about that? I agree, but I also want to put a caveat on this because what we're, n- we're not talking about bending over backwards mm-hmm. or abandoning parts of ourselves to please other people. No. And it can kind of sound like that. I know that's not what you're saying. You're saying, well, the way I interpreted it is, is what else can I do to lead a fulfilling life? How can I show up for other people in my life? How can I be of service to other people rather than focusing on this one thing or this one relationship? Yeah, and that's not an abandonment of self. Go find where you are. Go find where you can be full and free and just kind of overflowing with life and love. And I know you talk about this a lot too, but that sometimes looks like a boundary first and foremost. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes a pretty friggin' strong one. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, this space is either not safe for me or, and I have a therapist too. So my therapist said this shout out. But um, sometimes we are activated differently in different relationships. Oh, 100,000%. 
Yeah. Based on, you know, I, I don't know a lot about attachment theory. P- people ask me about this stuff all the time, but I love it. <laughs> I think I need that. I'm like lacking a little education in that department. There are attachment pros out there. So I just kind of funnel people that way. But yeah, I mean, I've been in relationships where one, one person was very avoidant and I became the anxious one. Right. And then sometimes I'm, <laughs> one of my friends, they said, oh, you're totally the avoidant one. I'm, Me, I'm the avoidant one? Come on. <laughs> and in this particular relationship, we have a really secure attachment. Like we, we, found a way to, we found a way to make that happen. So yeah, it really depends. People activate and trigger you in different ways, 100%. Yeah, and then right back to intimacy. Do you know your internal self well enough to understand when that's happening. Right. That's that's the tricky part. Yeah. The tricky part is, am I actually in danger? Yes. Right? And yeah. I think our fear systems are, they're a little trigger happy. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is, I get it. I get it. It's, it's a self-preservation, right? It's a, it's a defense mechanism to keep you safe. And this is where it all gets super tricky, right? When we're talking about intuition, because ultimately I do want people to tap into their internal wisdom. I, I, really, I really want that. I don't want people to rely on me for, uh, for me to tell them what they should do. I want them to figure that out mm-hmm. on their own. Obviously, that's sort of the work that we do. And it's hard. It's hard when your fear system kicks into overdrive and you're not really sure, am I avoiding something? Am I avoiding intimacy? Or am I taking care of myself and removing myself from a potentially dangerous situation? Yeah. And it's incredibly fucking hard. It is. It's hard for me. Um, like just to like expose myself a little bit. Literally, uh, the person that I am enjoying spending time with right now, um, I messaged them yesterday, and <laughs> I didn't hear back overnight. What was that? Like eight hours. <laughs> and so my immediate thought was like, okay, wow. Well, that was a nice run. I guess everything's over now, and I should just move on with my life. <laughs> They're ghosting me. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. And absolutely not. Because this is like, we're like a whole year into this. <laughs> People use the the ghost thing. Uh, this is different. We talk about that later. But they're really quick to label people ghosters when they don't hear back for 12 hours. Ghosters or even narcissists. And toxic people. Oh, guys. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. There are people in relationships with actual narcissists who are going through so much trauma and abuse just because... This okay. This is a blanket statement. Okay, go for it. I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catch it if it falls. <laughs> this is like an egg right here. But okay, I'm with you. Just because your partner says something you don't like does not mean they're a narcissist. That that's not that's not shocking to me. <laughs> I can get <laughs> I can get behind that statement one thousand percent. I literally will see things on like social, and it's like if your partner says these things, they're narcissists. Get out. And I'm like, yeah, those are things like a regular. I said that yesterday. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, and this goes back with the intimacy thing too, and holding multiple things at once, right? So, is it possible that my partner can do something that displeases me and also genuinely still be engaged and want my good? Yes. And so, when we talk about attachment styles, which just like Spark Notes version, guys, so there's secure, disorganized, anxious, and avoidant. For those of us who have a leaning towards anxious, avoidant, or disorganized, um, like you were saying earlier, we get really trigger happy with assuming based on our style. Mm. 
assuming I need to go grab and make sure they stay or I need to back away because this person's going to hurt me. Can you just like hold both at the same time? If you're anxious, like my partner doesn't text as much as I want. And also I know they genuinely care. So geez, I need to go get some ice cream right now. Yep, definitely. <laughs> ice cream is is a staple in my self-care routine. And chill out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're avoidant, it's like, you know, that my partner wants to come over again tonight, even though I just saw them yesterday. But I care about them so I can have my personal self-care time later. And we can also talk about these things. Yeah, talk to your partner. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag talk to your partner. If you're anxious and your partner doesn't text as much as you want them to, but you've never let them know. Oh, mind reading. Right. We're not not mind readers. Like I I literally want to know if you would appreciate it if I texted you a little bit more. And then I would ask you, what does a little bit more look like when you Mm -hmm. text me in the evening and I see the message? Do you prefer that I text you back before I go to bed, even though I don't really have anything to add? Or would you you want me to wait until the morning when I'm more in my element and can be more present for a text, right? So that we can negotiate these Mm -hmm. things. And this is all this is all connected to intimacy. Of course. Right? It's, it's like my I the story I'm telling myself when you don't text me back is that you don't love me. And I know that that's not true, but in my family, you know, this is how I was raised and these are the messages that I got and I really want to change that. And so are you there for me to figure this thing out? Yeah, and we have to be so careful to to not kind of use that language and again bypass the actual work, right? So we'll we'll maybe sometimes cloak codependency in this like veil of trying to do conflict resolution, right? Um, So what I mean by that is if you're feeling hyper anxious or if you're feeling like you have to withdraw and get away, first sit with that for yourself, be able to see and articulate what do I need right now? And let's move past the surface level of like, no, 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 I just want them to text. Okay, because likely you're going to get activated again. So can you move past that and descend into... What do I really need to see, feel, or hear? I need mm. to feel loved, okay? I can feel loved right now by cuddling up with my cat. And then once I'm able to articulate this to my partner, let them know, instead of demanding that they be present to make me feel better. Does that make sense? I mean, yes. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Also, feeling loved doesn't actually mean I need to feel loved by my partner. Yeah. I could be lonely. I could be calling my mom. I haven't checked in with her for a while. And every time I talk to her, it makes her so happy, which also makes me happy. I can yeah. connect with friends that I haven't seen for a bit. I can self-care, go for a run, go for a walk, cuddle with my pet, uh, work on a project that I haven't worked in a while that I know makes me feel good. I mean, there's so many different ways mm-hmm. to come and meet a need. We become victims when we give all that to our partner. You are the only person that can make me feel loved and I will die like Tinkerbell if you don't. (laughs) Yikes, yikes. We do it all the time. And that's why with a spiritual intimacy too, like whether or not you're religious, like what fills your soul? Mm. What gives you greater purpose and meaning? Like please do not only give all of yourself to another human like can you expand your view of what it looks like to have purpose, have meaning? Could you please expand yeah. your view? 
Yeah, thanks for the please. It's I very directly. No, 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 no. I, I was just echoing what you were saying. Uh, it's a lot of pressure on the other person as well. Mm. And humans are incredibly needy, and I mean that in the kindest way possible. It's just a fact of life. Humans have needs. It's one of the beautiful things that makes us human. And to place all of those needs on one person, my God, way to set somebody up for failure. To set yourself up for failure, because now you go into the, I'm going to get a little dramatic right now. Go for it. Then you go into like, oh my God, no one ever loves me. I knew it. I knew this would happen again. This always happens to me. Why me? I don't know. And we go spiral down that when in actuality, are we repeating a pattern where we're putting too much weight on another person to fulfill us? Yes. And when does that happen? All the time. <laughs> yes. No, no, like know your triggers, know your vulnerabilities to doing that so that you can catch it and at least lessen the blow a little bit. So one thing that I do fairly regularly is, I, and I just did this now while you were talking, what would happen if my partner left me? Mm. And the answer I always come up with is I would be incredibly sad and I would be okay. Yeah. Because my partner doesn't, their job isn't to take care of me. They do, they support me in, in a myriad ways, but that's not their job. That's my job. Yeah. So I have to be okay with all of a sudden losing my partner all of a sudden losing my business, all of a sudden losing my dog. Like I have to be okay with that because those are all realities that could happen. Non-attachment. Non-attachment. This is the work of a lifetime. This is my job mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Can I let go of everything that I think I need? Everything I want, everything I have, can I let go? Will I be okay if I don't have these things that I'm used to having? That's part of my meditation, which let's just say meditation is hard, guys. Okay. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> I'll like start feeling like literal body aches. And I'm like, I surely have been doing this for an hour. It'll be like three minutes. Um, part of my meditation is the posture of open hands and just kind of, here's my Enneagram wing four now, just kind of visualizing the state of an open handed stance for everything I hold the dearest in my life. And so there's this singer, do you know Sleeping At Last? I don't, but I'm I'm already into <gasps> Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Also, I feel like I just sounded like all those people are like, you've never heard of this? Oh my God, why? I felt judged, but I, I have non-attachment and <laughs> I accept that I don't fully know all good music. Let just take my deep inhale as a you're about to have your world change. So sleeping Sleeping at last. So he, his name's Ryan. He actually wrote a lot of the music for Grey's Anatomy too, but oh. he did an entire album on every Enneagram number. Wow. And there's a line in one of them that says, I'll hold it all more loosely and yet somehow much more dearly. <laughs> and I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> so my, one of my mentors says, uh, wear life like a loose fitting sweater. Nice. Yeah, so just flow with it. Like a cardigan or just like a pullover? Yeah, pull, like a loose pullover, I think. Something, sure. maybe a sort of a cashmere blend depends, you know, what's available to yeah. you. Uh, yeah. Loose and flowy, not restrictive. You know, if plans don't turn out the way you want them to, that's okay. If the person doesn't end up liking you the way you wanted them to, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's all sad, 
for sure. Yeah. It's all sad and you'll be okay. Our relationship with sadness could use some improvement. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't have uh, spaces for us to grieve collectively hmm, in, in the West. Anymore. Yeah. In the West, we don't have that as a, it's not a, we don't have that part of our, our tradition or cultures. Um, native cultures do. Uh, First Nations in the East, right? Like ceremonies to grieve those that pass. Uh, mm. our, our funerals are essentially our ceremonies and they're, you know, everybody's wearing black, wearing sunglasses. You're not really, you know, people are crying, but you're not really showing a lot of emotion. Uh, they're quick. Yeah. And then they're over. And now it's time to move on and get on with life, you know, because that it is the way it is. And that's that's just how it is we don't value sadness as a strength. We see it, I think, as a weakness. Yeah, so this is part of intimacy, sadness and anger, which is like the emotions we try to get rid of the most. Yeah. And I think about the ways it shows up where we don't allow spaces for it. So, for example, the hidden grief, like infertility, mm. like um, losing a relationship that you really cared about. Um. And then there's things like, you know, as a black woman, this anger, <laughs> our relationship with anger is so interesting because of the stereotype of like the angry black female mm. or the angry black male. And so I don't even know how to articulate what happens with anger, but you try so hard. I try so hard. I cannot speak for everyone. Please don't try to think I can I try so hard to not come off as angry because that would what make me more dangerous? I don't know. That would make me less acceptable or less <laughs> cookie cutter. That's yeah. what it feels like. Well, as a woman, uh, you you become more bitchy. Right, right. That's, That's it's, what it is. it's not just like a a healthy expression of an unpleasant emotion. It's you're hard to be with, you're hard to be around. Mm. Um, no one's going to want to work with you if you're like that. Yeah. Yeah. I see it show up differently in a therapeutic space too, where first of all, therapy is very white. Let me say that. So white. <laughs> the whitest. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Yeah. So basically what we mean by that is all the research is done on white and for the most part heterosexual cisgendered populations. Oh my. For the most part. Yeah. That doesn't um, reflect the <laughs> the makeup of most countries. Oh, I was gonna make a joke there, but I'll save it for later. <laughs> okay. When we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so with that being said, a lot of our interventions and modalities have been formed around this idea of healthy being this type of presentation of emotions or family or XYZ. So when we get to some modalities that that see success as, you know, this kind of soft, tender communication or conflict, which is great. And I've, I've definitely experienced and done it. It feels good. But what happens when you have a Black couple or a Latino couple or an interracial couple where they're talking at higher tone something that might be perceived as aggressive <laughs> right <laughs> which is culturally culturally accepted 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. and yeah. yet it gets seen as like something's wrong with you and 
I think it's tricky for interracial couples with that too, because one person's coming from like, why do you hate me? The other's like, I mean, I'm passionately discussing. That's right. I actually love you. This is my way of showing you. If I hated you, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. That's kind of my thing. (laughs) So yeah, I'm a big fan of therapy. People know this Mm. about me. I'm pro therapy. I also, I really recognize the fact that it's not affordable for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like, uh, it's expensive. It's hard to find somebody that you connect with. There's also the the stigma around uh, you being in therapy. Although I think with millennials, it's less stigmatized than it is with like older generations. Yeah. Now it's <laughs> now it's almost a source of pride, you know? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to talk to my therapist about that. <laughs> and, but going going back to, you know, the, the cultural differences, there aren't a lot of black therapists. No. And it makes a huge difference for black people to have access to a therapist that shares their worldview. Oh my gosh, yes. And and also in schools, I forget exactly what the study was or what the, the numbers were, but black kids who had black teachers did significantly better. Wow. Significantly better. They were less disciplined, um, yeah. you know, like uh, overly disciplined. Um, yeah. They had better grades, they had better opportunities because they saw uh, an adult that looked like them model healthy behavior for the most part. Mm. Wow. And that's the same with therapy. Like most black folks see white therapists just because of the numbers of black therapists is so low. And which is why I'm a huge fan of the Loveland Foundation, Rachel Cargill's uh, foundation yeah. that helps black women and girls have access to therapy services by black therapists. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're pro-therapy and you have some money to donate, please donate donate it to obviously any organizations that are doing good work that you believe in, but also consider the Loveland Foundation. Um, I make a monthly donation. And then also um, my my course, I think my healthy communication course, I donated 20% of the proceeds to that because I want there to be more access to therapy for everybody, not just people who can afford it and not just for white folks. I remember, so all of my therapists have been white because of just access and where I am. But I remember with my current therapist who I've seen for a little over a year now, I mentioned something about my identity as a black woman and wondering, I had a partner of a different ethnic background. You have this fear of like, okay, do they even like black girls? And the, I mentioned the therapist that. or the... I said that. Okay, um, to the therapist. Because that's kind of just a constant thing. It's like you kind of have to find out if they swirl. That's what that is, by the way, <laughs> interracial relationships. Oh, um, wait, I'm sorry. Tell me more. Swirling. <laughs> that's, a, that's a blending of, of two different races? Racial backgrounds, yeah. Yeah, Ooh, okay. so that's kind of the like shorthand way of saying. Do they swirl? Is that how, how, how it, can you use it in a sentence? Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm talking with my girls, um, yeah, we kind of just say, <laughs> I don't think everyone says it like this, but like, are you a swirler? Or like, do you swirl? Or they're in a swirl. Um, Whoa. Which is most often, I think, referring to black and white couples, but it's just kind of been used and diversified. But yeah, I mentioned this concept to my therapist and the fear of what it looks like to be rejected on the basis of race. And her first response was, I just don't know that that is really part of what's happening. Hmm. And it was this immediate moment of, I think what all black people have experienced is filtering 
Mm. Um, like, okay, uh, it's going to take me too much time and effort to explain to you why this is a thing. And so I'm just going to correct intimacy, cut that part of myself off in this space. But we did get to have a healing conversation about it. Yeah, that, that's sort of the thing that came up for me is that you are cutting off intimacy with your therapist, which is a relationship. Yeah. And healing happens in relationships, including the one with, with the, the therapist. And for your therapist to say, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know how that's connected rather than saying, how is that connected? Yeah. And getting curious around it. Um, and, and then you, you not wanting to, you know, rightfully so do the labor to mm-hmm. educate this person who's a professional on a dynamic that they, they don't understand. It, I think it's perfectly fine for a therapist to say, you know, I don't actually really have a lot of experience with this and it's something that I'm going to go and and research on my own, but can you maybe tell me how that's connected? Yeah, it's been, you know, I'm definitely someone who's... <laughs> Uh, at my unhealthiest, I'm probably more of a cutoff kind of person. Like, okay, this isn't working. I'm done with you. (laughs) Um, So it was healing for me. And for those of you listening who have had this with therapists, please tell your therapist if something isn't gelling so that you can have that reparative experience. It was really cool to tell her why that impacted me. And even later on when we were talking about anger and we're processing something pretty hard for me, and she was noticing this resistance and I was saying, I can't be angry right now because I'm tired of being seeing as always being angry. Mm. And she kind of giving permission for that and saying, like, I can take it. Like, mm, if I just walked away, I don't know what my thoughts of her would be, if that makes sense. Well, and, and also that relationship might have ceased. Oh, for sure. Right. So again, this is all circling back to intimacy. When we allow people to see us fully and Mm -hmm. not and not limit or filter in situations that are safe ish right safe to safe ish -ish. yes no situation is fully safe and no person i think is fully safe because they don't know they don't know everything about how to care for you and your heart yeah when we open up then we allow for more closeness and more understanding with the other person yeah safety and this came up for me when you said that I find my safety established on my end of the conversation more than theirs. Wow. Okay. Tell me more. So for example, if I'm already kind of shaky, if I'm a have not eaten in a while, (laughs) oh Lord, we're just making up words today. Have you eaten this morning? (laughs) (laughs) If I haven't eaten in a while. um, It's a Georgia thing. It does. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone else in Georgia is like, no, it's not. If I'm hungry, if I'm tired, if um, I've had a really stressful day at work, if all these things are compounding and then I have this big emotional thing, I know enough to know not to bring that up right then because I am not centered enough to care for myself. At that point, I'm asking the other person to do all the caring for me. Um, And so the safety I look for in them is maybe like 20%. Are they eaten up? What? Yeah. Have they? Have they? Have they eaten enough today? <laughs> Are they? Um, you know, they're not worried about a project at work, or they're in good space. Okay, cool. Now, on my end, do I know how to articulate what I need to say? If not, I probably haven't created that safety for myself. And uh, it's okay to have a conversation with someone if you feel present. 
and the other person is present, you can have a conversation without having the thoughts fully fleshed out. Yeah, and that goes back to that where we were kind of talking about being known. Um, it's not necessarily knowing exactly what I want to get out of it, but at least being able to know where my clarity areas are and where the foggy ones are. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's being able to say, here's what I know I'm feeling and here's what I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. This feels off. I don't know why. And I just want you to listen right now. Or I just, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, but being able to invite them into that experience by being clear about what I'm asking of them. <sighs> I just got like a little welled up at, yeah. at that. Yeah. At that like the beauty in being able to go to someone and say, Hey, I'm having a, you know, a hard time and I want to talk to you about it. And I'm not exactly sure what I feel. And I would love for you to just listen and maybe I'll get to your thoughts. Maybe not, but you know, are you here for that? Are you yeah. here for me to process a little bit? And I don't have any expectations about, I don't have any desired outcomes. I just want to talk about it. Yeah. I think people are scared to go to their person and their person being, it could be a family member. It could be a boss. It could be anybody really a friend, a lover. People think that they need to have it all figured out and no. to deliver, you know, uh, a perfectly well thought out and present argument or conflict or whatever with a resolution. And you don't have to do that. You, you don't, you can actually just share what's going on with you and see where that leads you. That's intimacy. That's the it's, sweater. Yes. Intimacy and a sweater. It's not, it's not a tight fitting sweater. It's a loose fitting sweater so that we can flow with, the conversation with the energy that's present with, with the other person. Just like with sex, bringing it back to sex. Just like with sex. <laughs> if you go in with this thing in your mind of, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then they're going to be like, so wowed by me and my amazingness. She's going to come so hard. It's going to be great. Um, you're, you're taking out so much richness and dimensions of what's happening versus just coming in with your presence. Here's what I would like in this conversation or this sexual experience, but I'm not going to try to write the script beforehand. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Practice that I like to use is desires, fears, and boundaries. Hmm. And so having a conversation with your lover beforehand saying, these are my desires. These are my fears. These are my boundaries. So yeah. that could look like my desires are to um, just get naked and for us to give each other like, just like stroke, sensual stroking, you know, yeah, little massage type thing. And to see where that leads us. My fear is that if I don't want to have sex with you or penetrative sex with you, you'll be disappointed. Yeah. And my boundary is mm, don't touch my butthole. <laughs> And I think that's where therapy comes in because for a lot of people that as simple as it might have sounded is extremely difficult. To oh, how come? Yeah. No, seriously, tell me why. It's uh so a lot of the time a traumatic or abusive experience in the past where it was not safe for you to be intimate, it was not safe for you to be fully seen, known, or loved by even a caregiver. And so the idea of you asserting and having a presence enough to say what you do want or what you don't want 
the fear of abandonment, the fear of being rejected or, or even punished is so strong that it is a lot, quote unquote, safer to hide yourself than to ask for your needs to be met. Mm. Yeah. The fear blocking us from intimacy. And a real fear, because for some people, it has happened. Yeah, multiple times. Or multiple times. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Oh, man. I just wish this were easier. LOL. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Um, I wish this were easier. But it's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. It does. It does, slowly. Over, over time, it gets right. easier and it surely helps to have a therapist and to have, or even, you know, close people that you can talk to about this stuff and about, and about your stories and your traumas. But yeah, if we're talking about trauma, I mean, I, I don't know that trauma can be resolved on its own. I don't think a book is going to do it. I think, you know, I think books, podcasts, no. online courses, in Instagram accounts, content creators that mean well, like all that stuff is super helpful because it, it brings these topics kind of to the top, right? To the front, yeah. to the front burner. But I don't think it's transformative enough to really lead to long-term healing. Yeah, and so when, when you tell people who ask you questions, like talk to a therapist, I think maybe some people see that as like, oh, he's just brushing me off, he doesn't want to answer the question. no. You need to sit with a therapist because it's relationship and wounds are healed in relationship. And there is something different about head knowledge versus sitting hmm. and experiencing what it looks like for you to articulate your pain with a therapist and have your therapist hold space for you hmm. and see you fully, love you fully. Um and then you feel like, whoa, why is this so uncomfortable? I don't ever want to go back to my therapist. But wait, isn't this part of the work? Yes. And so you get to learn that kind of like a surrogate partner in a way. Yep. Um, and you just can't do that on Instagram. No. No, because you'll just you'll just flick to the next thing. Yeah, you're not sitting with anything. No, you're not sitting with anything. Not on social media. Um, yeah, I think that was really beautifully said. Some people think that therapy is just talking mm -hmm. and that's how we communicate. That's how we share our stories. Mm -hmm. And the, the real transformation happens in the experiential part, I think, of the therapeutic oh. relationship. And my therapist has done things, like I would share a story and she would go, hmm, and make like a really sad face and just yeah. like, and, and <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And, you know, I figured out that she was doing what I didn't get growing up. Wow. So to a certain degree, she was reparenting. Wow. And showing up in ways that I hadn't experienced. And I was like, oh, that feels, yeah, like really uncomfortable to be seen with someone who's just there for you. And then, then you eventually you experience what that feels like. Right. Other than the discomfort, then there's also the safety that comes in after it. Oh, she didn't run away. Yeah. She didn't ridicule me. She didn't uh, make fun of me or gaslight me or all these things that I might have experienced growing up. She did it differently. Yes. And that it's beautiful. That is that is therapy. And and I want to acknowledge um, some of us have gone to therapists and have not experienced that. 
100%. People all the time who say some things they're, they're past therapists have said, and I'm not going to judge those people. I don't know their therapist, but it's like, oh man, I can see why that was hurtful. Yeah. And also there is such potential there for you. It's not just talking. It's, it's the experience of something different. It's the experience of <laughs> my therapist a couple years ago. Um, I moved since then, but he was a blind white guy. And this was around the time that Trump was elected. And you know what? I respect everyone's political beliefs. It's not about that. Just hear me out. I'm here. I'm hearing you out. (laughs) I was processing it at the same time in grad school, we were going through a class in, in racial trauma with our clients. So it was all the stuff at once. And I got to vent to this blind white guy about what hurt. And he held space without defending himself without any of that i can't even put into words how healing that was Mm. there's no way yeah i can only imagine then we we get a little bit of a taste of what that might look like in other relationships yeah and for me i've been able to seek out a relationship that models the way my therapist shows up Right, with a lot of love and a lot of presence and non-judgment. I like that. It's incredibly, and it's incredibly healing. You rewire your, this is a cross metaphor, you rewire your taste buds as well. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> you change your taste buds, you change what you expect. And I think when people are trying to get out of old patterns, they, they try to do it in the head, but there really is an embodiment to it. Now you know what it feels like for someone to actually be listening to you. Mm. You know what it feels like for you to have like snot running down your face or for you to be filled with rage and someone else respond instead of react. My favorite thing that you can say when someone is having an emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. This is, I, I use this all the time. When a partner or a friend or whatever is maybe it looks like they're going to start crying, you know, or there's like a, their voice kind of gets caught in their throat for a second because there's something coming up. What's coming up for you? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all it takes. Mm -hmm. Get curious about what's coming up for somebody. What? And to give them the space to pause. Yeah. And say, oh, just this fear that I'm not going to get what I want or that I'm going to not find my partner or that they're going to leave me or that I'm not going to get the the job I've always wanted or whatever, right? So some curiosity around what's happening in your emotional landscape and being there for it. I mean, this is what, that's what my therapist does. You really don't have to say the right thing ever. I don't know why people are obsessed with that either, but holding space for your partner. I know we (laughs) mental health people use that term a lot. And I think for someone on the outside, it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You want to define it? Yeah. I, I think it's just allowing the silent pause, allowing the pacing, allowing time while also managing your internal distress. Mm. And so if your partner is going through something, even if it's about you, can you, pause. Don't worry about responding. Listen. 
even if they're quiet, you don't have to feel that silence. <sighs> While also being aware of uh, like all this stuff that's happening inside of me. Uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. How do you want to manage that so that they can have their space right now? Mm. That's beautiful. I uh, did a workshop on emotional availability and part one was on holding space for your own and another's experience. Yeah. And the definition I came up with is that holding space is the act of welcoming, witnessing, and sitting with emotion without changing, distracting, or numbing. It's good. So sitting with. That numbing part. Yikes. <laughs> I don't know that a lot of us know the difference between numbing behaviors or healthy coping. You want to enlighten us? Well, I think this is another one of those I don't know ones. And, and so there's some obvious numbing behaviors where you can tell you're just not dealing with it. You walk away from the conversation and you go, you know, stay out all night with your boys, completely leaving your partner in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think it is case by case basis that you just have to be aware of, did I give attention and tenderness to what happened or not? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I use ice cream as, you know, healthy coping. <laughs> and Ooh. what what I've figured out is when I'm having an emotional response or there's an unpleasant emotion or some source of discomfort, yeah. can I pause between that stimulus or that response and the act of self-care? That's good. Which in that respect would be the, the comforting consumption of cold sweet goods yeah so can i pause can i pause and give it like you said attention and curiosity and space or do i go straight for the ice cream right and for how long and for how long how much yeah i think that's that's one way to look at it and like you said it is it's case it's case dependent for sure yeah i think the you could have two people in the room both of them have the same coping strategy but one of them is using it in an unhealthy way and one of them's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said in, in the email that you think relationships take hard work. And if, if you're listening, all of what we're talking about is hard work. Very hard. This is, this is the hard work that we're talking about. The sitting with, the being curious, uh, holding space, actively working on your stuff. It's not easy. I don't think that there's any relationship that is easy. If you open up. And it ebbs and flows. And so I hope that's some kind of encouragement. We're not talking about this continuous uphill battle uh -uh. at all. It's uh -uh. wins. I tell people, like, what are your wins? Yes, you guys argued. Okay, but how is it different than when you argued about the same thing two months ago? Mm. Or yes, you had a moment where you, you felt really strong, unpleasant emotions. Tell me the ways that you cared for yourself and were kind to yourself in the middle of that. Like, don't see it as this black and white, either everything's bad or everything's good and I'm healed and I'm perfect now. Or I'm fucked up and I'm broken. Yeah, that's not the kindest way to address this person who has been through a lot and is doing the best that they can to move past it. Because I genuinely believe that everyone 
is doing the best they can. If you're listening to this hmm. and investing your time into intimacy and, and growth, then you're doing the best you can. I'm a big fan of saying that people are doing the best they can, even though sometimes their best is kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I show up, you know, frustrated and angry and and I try to push through something, I am doing the best I can and I'm, and I'm not doing it that well. And that's okay. That's literally the best that I'm, that I'm doing. And people have a hard time with that concept, right? Like, especially when we're talking about abuse, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, emotional, physical abuse. Like, is that really their best? Well, for them, it is. Yeah. I think if they could act differently, they, they would, but they just don't have the tools. And they probably had the kind of life experience where abuse was was rampant and like a normal part of life yeah i think um and people who are the ones that do unhealthy behaviors towards or against a partner i don't think they get included in this conversation very much so i'm gonna try mm. especially if you're listening um you know you probably have a good idea of the parts of you that are not the healthiest and so therapy of course <laughs> But also, I would encourage everyone to see this whole picture where if all you've seen and felt and understood about the flow and dynamic of relationships is one where hurt is present, one where no one knew how to hold space and you have no experience of that, it's going to be hard for you to make that up out of thin air and do it with your partner. It's going to be really hard, maybe even harder than it is for others. Mm. And that is why you just need to have the experience of it to start overriding and transforming what you've probably seen and witnessed for 20, 30, even 40 years. Yeah. Oof. It's hard work. It's good work. It's good work. It's worth, it's work worth doing. Absolutely. So, I think this is an appropriate time for me to ask you, how can people work with you? So if you are in the state of Georgia, <laughs> I'd love to work with you um, therapeutically if you realize you need the deep work, um, which I don't think a lot of people know that therapists kind of have to stay in their lane and their lane being their state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. There, people are like, oh, it's, it's quarantine now. Everyone can do Zooms. No, that's a whole nother world. <laughs> But therapeutically, that's for that deep work. That's for unpacking, seeing the why, seeing you know those those wounds and healing them. But um, if you're interested and you feel like, no, I've got a pretty good grip on this. I just want some basic tools. Then let's talk about intimacy coaching, um, especially if you have a spiritual background and find that shame has been a big part of your life. Um, so you can find me on Insta at my intimacy therapist. Or online, my website's the same name, myintimacytherapist.com. And you have a course called Communication 101, Sexual Intimacy. Yeah, that's the foundations for kind of what we were talking about. Intimacy, allowing yourself to learn language, to talk about the parts of yourself that you might have disowned. Share that with your partner. Hmm. Yeah. I want people to take that course. <laughs> it's really good. I actually,
actually should give you. I'm going to give it to you too. I want. I want to take that course. (laughs) Yes, please do. Please Uh, do. I want people to have access to this, to ways of deepening sexual intimacy and and you know multi-dimensional intimacy, emotional, sexual, physical, spiritual, so that they can be closer to their loved ones. I really want that for everybody. I like that word access. So that's why I created it. It's yes, therapy is an investment. And for some of them, you know, you don't need therapy, but everyone can use communication tools. So let's make that accessible for you. You you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of your work. And yeah, I want people to have access to it. I have another final question for you. Yeah. What does love mean to you? Oh, smile on my face right now um (laughs) love to me is seeing all of who someone is and learning the best way to live a healthy coexistence with them Hmm. and so i kind of that's even more than just romantic obviously because someone is a boundary i'm not healthy when i'm with you and so let's create some space. But sometimes loving is being in the same house for 20 years and learning all the different types of person that your partner is going to be and become. Mm. I love that. Thanks. Thank you for your time and for your wisdom, Sade. I really appreciated this conversation. Thanks for having me. This is good. Thank you for spending this time with Shade and me today talking about a lot of intimate things, which, you know, is sort of what we do here. And if you want to connect with my content in a different way, if you want to read the blog posts that I write, and if you want to have access to early bird pricing for my courses, then the best way to do that is to either watch all of my stories on Instagram all the time or sign up for the email list. Go to thelovedrive.com forward slash email. I don't send many emails. I just I send one every two weeks. Actually, that's not true. When you sign up, you'll get seven emails over like the course of two weeks. And then I send an email out every two weeks with an occasional outlier email. Anyways, that's a lot of information, but that's what you're going to get if you sign up for my email list. Thelovedrive.com forward slash email. And have a beautiful week.